Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Hopwood Dupree, author of the memoir Downton Shabby, One American's Ultimate DIY Adventure Restoring His Family's English Castle. Hopwood, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your memoir, Downton Shabby, can you tell us what led you to move from Los Angeles to England to try and restore an English castle? <laughs> yeah, that is the, the magic question. Sometimes I'm not even sure myself, but um, <laughs> it has been an adventure of a lifetime, something I never really expected to happen. And I grew up with the name Hopwood, you know, hated the name as a child growing up in Michigan in the United States. And uh, just everybody always said I should have been named Bob or Tim. Um, and I was embarrassed of the name. My grandfather was also named Hopwood and he was very proud of the name. And he would always tell me these stories about a Hopwood castle uh, in England. And I always just thought there were fairy tales. I never thought it was a, a real place. And it was years and years later as an adult when I had moved away from Michigan, living in Los Angeles. Uh, it was after the, the death of my grandfather and my father. Um, and I think I was just sort of doing some searching, some soul searching. And, you know, like most people, when you go through some sort of experience like that, losing a loved one or something of that magnitude, you're looking for something. And for me, it just drove me back into my genealogy. And he had always been interested in genealogy and history. And so I started digging around on Ancestry.com. And one thing led to another. And uh, one night while doing it, I, I hadn't found this before, but I suddenly came across this old black and white photograph of this amazing stately looking castle in England. And I couldn't believe it. In that moment, I was absolutely struck thinking this is the castle that my grandfather used to tell me stories about. And it was called Hopwood Hall. And so I did a little bit of further research, went down a few Google rabbit holes at night. And uh, of course, I was drinking wine. So that <laughs> took me <laughs> along the way. And uh, I ended up just sending an email. Uh, I found an email address. I had only found this old black and white photograph. So I wasn't really sure if the the hall itself was still standing or not, but I was curious what was there or what had happened with it. So I sent an email and went to bed. And with the time difference in Los Angeles to England, by the time I woke up, I already had some responses in my inbox, one of which was from the local council who had connected me to a local historian. Uh, and there's an email from him as well. And I couldn't believe it because when I was reading these, uh, they were basically telling me it was still there. And I set up a phone call with Jeff, the, the historian, and he was suddenly asking, when am I coming to England? And so there, this sort of wine-fueled deep dive on Ancestry.com the night before suddenly led to me thinking, wow, is this the direction I need to be going in my life? Is this something that I need to follow? And it just sort of was a curiosity. And I happened to be headed over the pond uh, in the next couple of months anyway with my family. So we thought, well, why don't we make a special trip up? We're going to be in uh, France. We're going to see Normandy. And we thought, well, why not take a, a trip up there and see this mythical Hopwood Castle? 
that my grandfather had told us about. Um, and so we did. And it was just to see it. That was it. Just a pure fun trip to check it out. And when we went there, we were so absolutely moved by the heritage of the building and the beauty of the building. And it was just unbelievable with these incredibly ornate hand-carved 15th century fireplaces and moldings and doors. And it just, you, you couldn't believe it, especially coming from America and certainly coming from Los Angeles, where, you know, the historic district there is the 1920s, <laughs> stepping back into something that was from the 1420s just blew my mind. And they took me into a room and said, this is where your 14th great grandfather would have been born. And, uh, you know, it was like you could reach out and touch the same fireplace that he would have touched and that he would have looked at. And in the same breath, they told me that if nothing was done to save it, because it had been abandoned for 30 years, uh, that the hall would be lost within five years. And so in that moment, I just thought, here is this hall that's been around, that's meant so much to my family, to my grandfather, uh, all these generations before me that's been around for 600 years, uh, that, and it's about to be lost in, in five or 10. It didn't have a, a long shelf life ahead of it. And, you know, we would walk into one room and we could hear pieces of plaster uh, crumbling, falling off the ceiling in the next room. So it really was an urgent sort of situation where it was falling down around us. And so that's really why I wrote the book about this story, because that was my initial um, impression. But what what followed was a number of years of sort of back and forth and, and things pulling me in to uh, realize I couldn't turn my back not only on the past generations, but it was also I couldn't turn my back on, on my grandfather and really on myself. And it suddenly was laid out in front of me, this challenge that I had been asking for uh, the universe from this, this change in my life that I had been searching for was suddenly laid out directly in front of me. And uh, I just jumped headfirst into it. And of course, I never realized when I first went there that it was going to turn into my entire life. But, mm -hmm. um, but it has been an incredible experience. And I'm, I feel so lucky to have gone down this path. I'm still doing it. I'm still here in England now. And I was just at the hall and, you know, just changed out of my dusty clothes and my work boots and my hard hat and uh, sat down to do this. So it's still very much a, a, a live project as we're going, but we are making great headway and it's been an incredible uh, time. So do you live in the hall? Not yet. It's not quite inhabitable yet, at least uh, not by humans, mm -hmm. <laughs> certainly by ghosts. Uh, but uh, hopefully this spring I'll be moving into it. Um, but I'm there most every day, you know, multiple times a week. Uh, and we have this great group of community members uh, that have that come out on a regular basis and they help with the restoration. They help in the gardens, all sorts of things. I mean, we're really making a, a major headway on a major project. Uh, and we, the best thing about it is, is that's, banded together this group of people with these friendships uh, with a common purpose to save this old hall. And where is it located exactly in England? It's located in a small area called Middleton, 
which is part of Greater Manchester. So it's not far from Manchester, Got it. Uh, but it's uh, but it's still very much uh, feels like a, a small town in that area. Sure. And I'm I'm curious when when you moved there did to England were you keeping a journal? When did it, when did it occur to you that you should write a book about this adventure or experience? <laughs> well, it started as a video journal, really. Um, I a lot of my friends and family were asking what's going on, you know, how is it going? So I started a YouTube channel initially just to make little fun videos of what was going on and to post them, send them around to family and friends. And that started spreading and and going out on more social media channels and more people were asking what's happening. And and, uh, pretty soon I was connecting with people I had never met before who had heard about the hall or had grown up near there. So it just... the, the. the amount of people interested in it just continued to grow. And it got to a point where um, we started getting some media in the United Kingdom, some national media there. And so I was approached and asked if I would do a one-man show about it. So at that time, I, I, that's when I really started to kind of write things down. I had been done doing some journaling, but most of it was on, uh, was on video. So I started just writing down everything that was happening. And it still had been fairly fresh in my mind. So even past experiences, I started writing those down. And that became a one hour, one man stand up show that I ended up taking uh, to I think it was 23 different tour dates around the United Kingdom and ended up taking that to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which was incredible, because it was sort of always a lifelong dream of mine, not only just to attend it, but to actually be in it was, was really fun. And, um, from that, that show, then it ended up, uh, I ended up getting an introduction to an agent in New York and she really just encouraged me to turn the show into a book. And by then I kind of had an outline already for the book. Right. So that's how it all came together. And you mentioned video and I understand that you have a popular YouTube channel. Where can people find you at on YouTube? Um, they can find me on, uh, my handle is Hopwood XIV. Um, and, uh, also my website has all my social media channels on there, uh, as well as a lot more information about the hall and how people can join our friends group and become part of it. And that is also hopwoodxiv.com. An XIV standing for 14th, uh, which is sort of after the 14th great-grandfather who built the hall. Right. Um, and I'm curious, did you end up buying the hall or is it owned by a historical trust at this point? Um, it is still owned by the council right now, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but I did a uh, made an arrangement, a legal agreement with them that to take on the full responsibility of the hall, but only when we were ready to do so uh, because it's such a big building and it is such a, in so much need of, of help and rescuing and kind of an endless, um, you know, budget to, to save it. Uh, so I was encouraged to, to go in this route. So they own it now, but it looks like it will be transferring over the full responsibility either at the end of this year or early in 2023. So I think now we're prepared to fully take it on, but it is, um, 
but it's you know with with the beauty of the hall and 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 everything that comes with it that's that's amazing it's also an incredible amount of upkeep and responsibility and um maintenance and staffing and you know it's it's quite a quite a big thing to take on but i'm i think we're ready for it now i did start a the hopwood foundation which is a charity here in england um and we have this tremendous group of uh, friends our friends group and our goal is really to open it up to the community and offer it as a arts and education and cultural retreat uh, also host things like weddings and events and things that will help us to generate some commercial income to help keep the lights on but also to do a lot of arts and cultural programming that will uh, really inspire artists and writers and uh, people to maybe take on the creative dreams that they've been looking to do for their whole life. Sure. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I'm curious, had you done any type of renovation or construction work before you went over and decided to renovate a castle? <laughs> I had done minor works. You know, I, I had done a, a bathroom remodel, a kitchen remodel, those kind of things, but never anything on this magnitude. You know, when I was in L.A., I, I was doing one bathroom. I was trying to put down some some adhesive sticky tiles that I picked up at Home Depot and I basically broke down into tears because that was so overwhelming for me. I was covered in the stickiness and it was just it was completely overwhelming. So that was just one bathroom, whereas Hopwood Hall will probably, when said and done, will have about 40 bathrooms. So, um, no, it's been a huge learning curve for me. I, I am not really what I would consider handy at all, um, but... But I have a passion and I realize there are people that are much more skilled at this sort of thing than I am. So I just try to learn when I can and help out when I can and, and try to work to my strengths. Um, and uh, so, no, it has, it's been incredible. But, I'm, you know, we're learning things like how to make a leaded glass window. So they match the windows that were made in the 1500s and how to do um, hand mixed uh, lime mortar and 
uh, you know, do pointing on, on ancient bricks. And, you know, so it's fascinating to me because these are never skills that I ever would have ever would have had. That's great. Well, you, you mentioned earlier when you first visited the castle in 2013, that plaster was falling and it was five years away from just, uh, basically being uninhabitable. What's the state of the castle now in 2022? Well, it's much better. Uh, you know, we've stabilized it. We've between the we've been able to get some incredible grants here in the United Kingdom, um, primarily from historic England. Uh, the local council has also put in money. I've also put in money myself, and then there have been a number of other organizations like National Lottery here and and others that have put in funds, which has totaled over a million pounds. And so the building is now stabilized. Uh, and we've been going through rebuilding chimneys and re-roofing and uh, it's really getting there. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but it's not in danger of being lost forever in the next couple of years. I mean, even if we stopped now, it would still last for many generations uh, just as a, as a vacant building. Um, so it, it's getting, you know, now it has electricity, it has water. We have events in there. We've had, you know, Christmas parties. We were having our Friendsgiving event, which is kind of fun because it's in England. But um, <laughs> so we do have regular events. We have uh, workshops in there where we actually train people how to make leaded glass windows and how to do plaster molding. And uh, so... Um, it's it's definitely becoming you know it's life has been breathed back into the building and it's just getting better on a daily basis. That's great. I'm curious, what do you think you discovered about yourself as you undertook this renovation? Well, I think living in Los Angeles, I was really just searching, and like I said earlier, with the passing of my father and my grandfather in a relatively short amount of time it really left me reeling. They were the two most important uh, men in my life. They uh, were both father figures to me, really. Um, and suddenly, with their deaths, suddenly made me realize my own mortality as well, That they're, because it was so quick. You know, there was two generations gone, and I was the next up, really, next on the chopping block. And, and that made me do some deep, diving of what am I doing and is Los Angeles the right place where I want to be and spend the rest of my life? Or is there something more where I can make a difference uh, rather than just working in the entertainment business? Um, and so I think I was just searching for a higher purpose, something where I felt like I could leave behind that would make a mark and that would, would change the world for the better. And I think I found it here. I mean, I feel very content, very happy. I realize that the project isn't just about the building, but it's about the people as well, about the community. Um, it's been a tremendous location to bring people together. Because this house was here for 600 years, it's not just the family or my ancestors who lived in it, uh, but it's all the people who helped build it, all the people who worked there over centuries. And many of those descendants of those people who helped to run the estate and, and make it happen, it was originally a 5,000-acre estate, uh, many of those 
the descendants of those people are still live there locally and still are the neighbors and still very much part of that hall. And they've now come back hundreds of years later, walking in the same steps of their ancestors, as am I, and we're all rebuilding the hall. And it's just it just feels really grounded to me. And I think that's what I was looking for, was something very grounded and to feel like it's a purpose and something achievable and something that can be left behind. Sure. Well, I'm curious, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed, either novels or nonfiction? <laughs> you know, that's a very good question. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I have had <laughs> absolutely no time to read between writing my book and saving the hall. I, <laughs> I barely have time for sleep. So uh, there's a, a lot that I want to read, but I just haven't, uh, I haven't really had a break. So hopefully here we'll get through the next wave of works. And uh, at the end of 2023, I'm looking forward to kind of taking a little bit of a break and having more time to be able to do things like read books and see movies and that kind of thing. (laughs) That's great. I hear there's a great thing called Netflix. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, can you remind people again how they can find you and information about you, you and your memoir and the Hopwood Hall Estate online? Sure. Yes. The the name of the book is Downton Shabby. Um, So people can Google search that. They can uh, find me. My name is Hopwood Dupree. My website and social media is all Hopwood XIV. And um, yeah, I'm able to. And also you can uh, find Hopwood Hall Estate. Uh, And and, uh, I think if you search one of those, you'll easily be able to find us and hopefully link up with us. We love to hear from people. We love comments on social media. If people want to join our friends group and be part of it, they'll get a newsletter that keeps them up to date on what we're doing and they can watch the videos of the progress that we're making. So it's a lot of fun and it's fun to be doing this with so many people around the world that are involved. I really feel like there are people all over that are along on this journey with us, giving us encouragement and commenting and um, just being part of the, the rescue mission. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Hopwood Dupree, author of the memoir, Downton Shabby, One America's, One American's Ultimate DIY Adventure, Restoring His Family's English Castle. The memoir is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Hopwood, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. Pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. It was one of those nights when you hope your biggest responsibility will be uncorking a bottle of wine. Little did I know that an internet search was about to change my life upending my entire understanding of my purpose on this planet, my place in the bigger continuum of history, and what a home improvement project can really mean. It was spring 2013, and I was at home in Los Angeles in the Hollywood Hills. There was only one helicopter circling overhead, so it was quieter than usual. Outside the window, daylight was fading into dusk, and the desk lamp glowed amber next to me as I sat down at my laptop. That evening, as had become my new secret wine-time relaxation habit, I started clicking around on Ancestry sites, wikitree.com, ancestry.com, myheritage.com. I was familiar with all of them. Whenever I had a half hour or so to spare, I'd dig a bit further along the twists and turns of my ancestral tree. If you've never been on one of these sites, let me warn you, they are seriously addicting. A half hour can easily turn into a few hours, or all night, 
so I often had to limit myself. Find a copy of some yellow document you've never seen before, and then you're clicking on another link, which takes you to proof of an unknown second cousin four times removed, and before you know it, you've found an old black-and-white photograph of some long-deceased great-aunt. It can be dizzying. Spend enough time on these sites, and you'll start to feel like a detective on the trail, following breadcrumbs of evidence. Except in this mystery, most of the people in the story are already dead and have been for decades. Until recently, it was true that I'd always been the kind of person who focused on the future. I didn't spend much time looking behind me. But lately, that had changed. I was becoming more and more curious about the past, how had I gotten sucked into genealogy searches? I know it wasn't thanks to the shows on TV featuring celebrities tracing their family history, because I didn't watch those. And it wasn't that I hoped to find some lost relative or uncover a family secret. If I had to say exactly why I was willing to spend hours of my life learning about people I didn't know and was never going to meet, I would say a lot of it had to do with loss. Loss and probably some regret, too. Until recently, my grandfather on my mother's side had been our family genealogist. His name was Herbert Hopwood Black, but I called him Pap. He had an infectious grin and was over six feet tall, so when I was a little kid, he always looked like a smiling giant. As I was growing up, Pap used to love to tell me stories about our Hopwood ancestors and how they had founded the small town of Hopwood, Pennsylvania in 1791. Pap should know. He had been born and bred in Hopwood. The only reason he left his beloved hometown in the 1920s was because he was offered an opportunity in Michigan to get involved with a rapidly growing company called General Motors, to the end of his days, he couldn't have been prouder of our connection to Hopwood and that we could trace our family tree there back eight generations. Or was it seven? The problem was, as a kid, I'd never really listened. From my perspective, anything to do with Hopwood was problematic. Yes, my name is Hopwood, just like my grandpa, but from a very early age, I hated my name, Calling me Hopwood had been my mom's idea. She chose it as a tribute to her father and his side of the family. When I was a baby and toddler, it was fine. Hopwood got shortened to Hoppy or Woody, which in preschool was considered pretty cute. It was only when I got to kindergarten that the teasing began. The other kids thought Hopwood was hilarious. They said I should have been called John or Steve. Things got so bad that I came home from school one day and told my parents I'd had enough. I don't want to be Hopwood anymore, I declared as I pushed over a wooden plant stand, hearing it crack as it hit the ground. I felt bad looking at the damage I'd caused, the fern tipped over with dirt spilling out of its side. My dad, always a loving pragmatist, had seen this outburst coming. When I was born, he insisted at the last minute that my mom also give me the name Todd as a backup to Hopwood in case I didn't like it. My dad's initials were T-O-D. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 